right club. Be the right club today. Yes! Again, have to be careful of the speed. What a comeback season for Hal Sutton. Right back towards the hole. Come on in. That's the second eagle he's made it for this week. <laughs> 17 years later, Hal Sutton is the players' champion. everybody welcome to another be the right club today podcast how i feel like it's been a long time since i've seen you we haven't done any of these intros in a little while we haven't we've been just doing it through zoom and it's worked out that way but been a little been a little busy too so it's been hard for us to sit on lots lots of lots ha- lots of things have happened since uh since we last sat down and, and did one of these uh rider cup was kind of interesting yeah it was it was uh you know, it kind of turned out like I thought it might turn out. I mean, the U.S. is young and good, and if you looked at the world rankings, it wasn't even close. Uh, I think the thing that led us to believe that Europe had a chance is the experience that they had on their side, but uh, that came right down to it. It didn't mean a whole lot. It turned out probably how it should have turned out for once in a, in, in a few Ryder Cups. Um, that was kind of my, my hope was that the U.S., you know, they had, you know, a lot of a lot of talk about experience, and you know, if you look at the experience, the 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 old guard of the uh, the U.S. team had a bunch of experience from Tiger to Phil to to Jim Furyk to a lot of those guys to Stricker, but a lot of them had a losing record. You know, they'd gotten the the short end of the stick against the Europeans the last couple of years and the last few Ryder Cups, and that was my hope was that the Morikawas of the world, the Xander Shoffleys, all these young pups coming in and and would play well, and we were fortunate enough they did. Yeah, they did. And, you know, I thought Whistling Straits looked beautiful on the TV. I think it was a tough watch. I think uh, I think it was hard to follow those groups. You know, Ryder Cup is tough in the in in the beginning just because there's only four or five groups out there. Yeah. Uh, so there's, you know, 30,000, 40,000 people trying to watch four or five groups. But uh, then you throw in the fact that it's Whistling Straits and it's moving and there's, you know, there, there, it's a lot of undulations there. We were talking after the after the event about um, percentage of putts made, and I think it'd be interesting to go back and look at. And I'm sure somebody's probably done this before, but go back and look at, you know, how many putts were hold outside of a certain distance in in previous Ryder Cups by the European teams versus this this last Ryder Cup, and to see if there was, you know, if it was just the difference of a few more misses and a few more makes on our side, or you know, what what was the what overall was the difference but it sure seemed like the europeans just didn't make those putts that they've made on us in the past it looks like to me every time the Ryder cup is over with the winning team made more putts and i think that's what it boils down to all those guys there are pretty good ball strikers and you know they're not intimidated by a lot it's just whether the putts go in or whether they don't go in yeah and uh you know, this particular year, I think the U.S. had a big advantage because uh, 
a lot of the European people couldn't come over and watch the golf tournament. So I think the crowd was pretty biased towards the U.S. Yeah. And, you know, having played in four Ryder Cups, you know, uh, crowd makes a big difference. You know, uh, it's easy to feel the momentum when the crowd lets you know what it is. Yeah. And, right. you know, all the momentum felt there were for the U.S. side pretty yeah. much. And uh, anyway, I, I, it was a great win for the U.S. So we had a uh, we've had a few interesting guests on these last couple of weeks that we we haven't you and I haven't really sat on and talked about. We had Monty on a couple of weeks ago, a good friend of ours coming in this week for a for a golf school with us. Um, you know, we talked a lot about one of the themes we talk about a lot on here: expectation management and and you know watching golf on TV and thinking that pros don't 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 hit bad shots. Um, you know, it was kind of a kind of a a little table side discussion about just three guys talking about golf. Um, I was, you know, I'm always a fan of having friends on like that and talking, talking golf on here. Cause that's essentially why we, we started doing this. Right. Um, there was a lot of practical, I would call that a practical, practical discussion on how to get better, how to, you know, we're, we as golfers compare ourselves to tour players, amateur golfers compare themselves to tour players, but you don't see it happening in other sports. You know, very few, very few guys compare themselves to Tom Brady or LeBron James or, or some of the greats in other sports, but we do it in golf, and it causes us a lot of issues. Well, something I talk about quite a bit is keeping our world small, you know, and the bigger our world gets, the bigger our expectations get. You know, if, if we let the outside world in and that's who we're going to compare ourselves against, well, then we're going to have higher expectations of ourselves. Yep. But if we keep our world small and, and, and live in the world that we're in, so to speak, well, then we can elevate our expectations as we get a little bit better instead of just taking these quantum leaps forward with our expectations. You know, it's funny you say that. One of the one of the stat tracking systems that we're a fan of decade we've we had scott on and, and talk about decade quite a bit on here it gives you the opportunity to say you're a 15 handicap it gives you the opportunity to compare yourself to a 10 handicap or or the the group of 10 handicaps right and then you can see where your your pitfalls are where you're better than a than a necessarily a 10 handicap but where you have you have the most improvement but i think historically golfers have always those 10 handicaps have compared themselves to plus fives or plus sevens or plus tens the tour players and it's just not realistic it's not i mean you know how, how can you compare yourself to somebody that can do anything with a golf club and all you can do is hit a fade yeah you know right i mean i think uh if, if anything is correct, I mean, I'm dealing with that right now, Chase, in my own life. You know, I, 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 at one time I could do a whole lot of things with a golf club. Now I'm 64 years old and I can't do as much yep. with a golf club. Right. And I've got I got to stop comparing myself to the Hal Sutton of old and start comparing myself to what I can currently do yep. and, and make small uh, steps forward instead of saying, okay, all of a sudden I want to be, you know, I want to break course records again. Yeah. Well, <laughs> that's not possible anymore. And I think the other thing that, that we as uh, all golfers struggle with, I know I do, and I know you have in the past is you, you'll chase and I will too. Again, we'll chase fields that have worked for like, I, I'll chase a field that worked for me 20 years ago. And it's like, I am a completely different at 36. I'm completely different than when I hit it good at 18 or 19 or 20. Right. You the same way. You talked about a lot of the feels that worked for you in the past, but your body is in, is in a different spot, and uh, you're smiling at me. I'm trying to be nice. <laughs> you're, you're, you can't move quite like you, just like I can't either, right? Oh, but, Lord. But don't you think that that is something that, as golfers, we, we struggle with? We struggle with those feels. We struggle with, with, I guess, looking into the past too much. Yeah, I think 
you know, living in the present is something that every human being on earth fights, you know. Yeah. Uh, I mean, if I can for a minute, you know, we love to dream. Yeah. And we don't dream bad dreams. We, you know, we try to dream right. where we want to be. Right. And, uh, you know, that's very seldom is that something just moderately better than where we are it's it's usually quite a bit ahead and you know i don't want to kill those dreams but i think keeping them in perspective for everybody certainly for myself i'm not trying to talk to y'all about what you need to do necessarily you know you're you're in charge of your life i know i have to dream moderate small steps in order to get better you know and then when i make that small step i got to be proud of that small step instead of disappointed that it wasn't more you know, you talk about small victories and small steps on the golf course all the time, you know, not letting, um, you know, bad things compound. You're, you're wanting to just kind of keep momentum going. And it's kind of the same thing with taking inventory of our game and trying to figure out where we can improve and, 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 um, yeah, just get better for it. it's a great time to be thinking about your game to get better for next year. Right. We're kind of going in the off season, depending on where you live in the country. And, you know, let's, let's make a small, a small little goal of, you know, getting a little bit better with our putting. And then what are we going to, what processes are we going to put in place to do that? Yeah. Now is the time. If y'all are ready to make an improvement in your golf swing, you know, the weather's fixing to start getting bad. Most of the places or you're going to travel to some place where it's really good. You might be headed to Palm Springs where you're going to have great weather and, and, you know, now still the time yeah. to make that change so that you can be better. So uh, we continue to try to bring guests that can help you with your game. Chase and I keep firing everything that we know to fire at you to help you be better. Yeah. And our whole goal for this podcast is not, I mean, we talked about a current event in the Ryder Cup, but that's not our goal on this. Our yeah. goal is to help you become a better player. So speaking of goals and dreams, uh Last week we had we had Dr. Bob Rotella, probably the most famous golf sports psychologist that's that's ever lived. Um, you know, we I was I was joking with you a little bit. Um, you know, I listened to all of his audio books and and listened to most of his or and read most of his books. He was my he was my go to um, with the middle game. I obviously was too stupid and young to learn as much as I should have from him at the time. I wish I'd have taken to heart everything that everything that his book said, but it was, it was an honor for me to, you know, to sit down and and talk about this with him, talk about some of this stuff. Um, I loved what he said about dreams, about big dreams, big goals, you know, don't, don't limit ourselves. Um, and then one of the things our, our guest this week is going to talk about is goals are great, but now what's the process that that's needed to get to those goals. All right. Well, Bob's a great friend. He's, you know, he was instrumental in helping me on numerous occasions. You know, stay. I, he mentioned in there I stayed at his house several times, and uh, he's a passionate guy. And I mean, you know, I think that was a shock to you because he's monotone in his book and yeah, right. reading his books. But I mean, I knew he was a real passionate guy. Passion sells, and you know, Bob is very passionate. When, uh, when did you work with him? Uh, off and on. Quite a bit, yeah. you know. Um, I don't remember exactly when, but when needed, yeah, right. <laughs> which was uh, fairly often. <laughs> I remember reading in one of his books about you, you know, him him having you putt with your putt looking at the hole, yeah. and you set the course record. Do you remember when that was? No, I don't. He he referred to it. He, on, he yeah. did. It was early. Was it earlier in your career? No, it was later. Was uh, it? I was in my 30s for sure. Yeah. Uh, that was one thing I never did ask you. I was just curious yeah. about that. Um, yeah, I was 
probably mid thirties at that point. And then, you know, moving on to this week, we've had a a good friend of mine, one of the best instructors up in the Philly section, um, Mr. John Dunnigan. Um, John's another very passionate individual. Um, He's he's uh, got a great sense of humor. He loves working with kids. Um, him and Dr. Will Wu, Will Wu started a uh, uh, well, what would I call it a um, a motor learning um, kind of coaching platform on uh, called Skilled Coaching Alliance that is phenomenal. So any of you guys that are coaching, uh, any of you golf coaches, any kind of other coaches out there, um, would definitely want, recommend for you to check it out because it's it's awesome. I've gone through it. It's some really, really good stuff. I think I mentioned on the podcast that uh, that John puts his heart and soul into it, and he's he's a um, he's just got a ton of knowledge and a ton of experience in, in helping people reach their, reach their goals. I think when you listen to the tele, uh, the podcast, you'll, you'll see that John is very passionate about it and, and detailed at times about it. Sure. And, uh, you can see why, uh, people get better that listen to John. So we were happy to get John on. Yeah. And for those of you listening, um, as you know, just audio only, uh, toward the end of the podcast, he talks a little bit, or he, he demonstrates a little bit of, of some ways to, uh, you know, to take your, your practice to the golf course. So if you miss out seeing the video, always remember we, um, you know, it'll be on YouTube. So check us out house Hunt golf on YouTube, or just, just search for be the right club today podcast. And you'll see the, uh, you'll see the video portion of it. So as always, you guys enjoy John Dunnigan. Our next guest on the Be The Right Club Today podcast is a a longtime friend and mentor of mine, one of the best instructors in the business. He's the director of instruction at Applebrook Golf Club in the Philly section, Mr. John Dunnigan. John, welcome to the podcast. Hal and Chase, it is a huge honor, big fan of some guy with the, unless I think your forms are as big as my calves. Uh, (laughs) Not anymore. Not working so hard anymore, John. (laughs) I hear you. I hear you. Uh, well, by the way, really, what you guys are doing out there is really cool. I, I in Texas is really, really cool. The whole well, studio and all. That. I love working with Chase and, uh, you know, working with the kids and uh, trying to keep some of these older guys from coming over the top so bad. I bet you've dealt with some of that in your life. Uh, just this morning. <laughs> <laughs> so tell us what you're up to, John. Well, you know, so I teach – full-time it's the only thing I know how to do uh my my golf pro friends tell me that I barely qualify as golf pro because I don't even know the phone number at this place but it's uh it's what I've done for now let's see 40 years started in tennis and then quickly got into golf and then I've been I've been teaching golf I mean and you know with the tennis it's been 40 years of coaching so I've been actively making a living by coaching, which is really cool because it's like being a golf uh, professional player. You either make people better, you make cuts, you make, you know, top tens, or you don't eat. So consequently, we have to be good, right? And for, for us guys, now that you're doing this, it's, uh, so I have this, this uh, absolute abject fear of not being good enough. So like every single day, um, I'm still studying, you know, and I think that the, the biggest thing that for me now is I'm not sure we're going to find out a whole, whole lot more about, uh, the golf swing mechanics. I'm not sure we are. Maybe we'll find out little tiny things, but the motor learning thing is, you know, how people 
develop skills, how to coach them to learn skills so that they transfer to the golf course. Like this morning, I had a, a pro, one of our coaches, uh, watching me teach this morning and how we went through, you know, practice and then transfer practice. We did that all morning because the idea is to get them. Well, frankly, I, I could care less if a person hits it good in front of me. That does not impress me at all. All I care about is when they leave me, they, what I call, take the lesson with them. They take the lesson and go implement it on the golf course where it counts. That's the only way that I rate the quality of, of my golf and coaching, right? I, I would really call it coaching, not just instruction, but that's a, a different thing. So what we did, Will Wu is a PhD doctor who um, is a dear friend of mine. We met in the Philippines in 2015 doing a golf school with Mike Adams. Great. Now, Mike Adams, I call him the godfather of golf instruction. He's an he's awesome guy. We've been friends for years. But we met, and we're talking in back, and I'm doing some stuff on junior development. He's doing uh, speaking about motor learning. And we sat in the back of the room on a break talking. And then Scott Lynn, the biomechanist for uh, Swing Catalyst, you guys have a Swing Catalyst. I have Swing Catalyst. Uh, Scott goes, shut up take the microphones, get on stage, continue the conversation. And that's how this whole thing started with what's called the Skilled Coaching Alliance. And we have some non-golf pros in that program, but people who have kids that are trying to figure out how do you make your way toward developing the skills. And uh, the Skilled Coaching Alliance is, you know, we just started a new semester. It's not too late. It's a uh, hundred hours of content that he had filmed that take my 40 years of coaching and his career in uh motor learning, and we intertwine them in the entire 100 hours of program. It's back and forth between a coaching application and the science behind it. So we call it evidence-based coaching. There's a reason why we do things that the way that we do. We're not just throwing stuff at the wall and see what sticks, you know? And that, that's basically uh, that. And Oh, by the way, my daughter just broke par first time in a tournament. Two days, she shot two under and two under. So uh, that's my other, that's my number one passion, aside from being, you know, husband and dad. That's all I'm up to. That's your biggest, uh, biggest little notch on your resume, right? Your daughter shot under par in a tournament. Game on, yeah. right? Yep. And, and loves her dad still. <laughs> loves, loves her dad. Very important. Yes. So I have, I have a question for you, How You got to the highest level of the game. You got to the highest level of this game, which I know Chase failed. I failed miserably. Um, I hit the ball really, really well back in the day when I played minis. I had, uh, let's see, is there such a thing as a horrific mental disposition for playing competitive golf? It was awful. How did you grow up in the game of golf? What was your, when you were a kid, what was your upbringing like, especially with parents and, and you and whatever, what were your influences? How did you get so damn good? Uh, well, I played all sports when I was growing up and, uh, you know, my dad was uh, very difficult on me. He expected the highest 
And uh, whenever I finally quit everything, I was playing all the team sports. I quit everything because I love golf. And I, I felt like, I mean, the very thing that caught, that drew me to golf was I got all the credit or all the blame. It was all on me. And I love that part about golf, you know. Uh, but anyway, that's what I did. And then my dad, you know, we sat down every year. We set goals. And, uh, and he held me to that standard, whatever that was. And, you know, he was never one that bragged on me. You know, he, I was always trying to please him. Nothing meant more to me than pleasing my dad. And, uh, you know, it, it just kept driving me to, to new heights because he, you know, he would hold up the hula hoop here and say, okay, jump through this. And then he'd raise it up higher when I jumped through that. And then he'd put fire around it, say, <laughs> jump through that. I mean, that's what he just kept doing to me, you know, and I kept wanting, when I'd hit the ground on the other side, I wanted him to say, Hey, job well done. I never got that. You know, he just kept raising the bar all the time on me. And, uh, I think that's what drove me really. I wanted to please my dad and, uh, you know, we see that around here a lot, John, we see kids that want to please their parents. You know, I just posted something not long ago, you know, to parents, you know, make sure that your love is not performance based. Uh, let your child know you love them regardless of what they do. Uh, you know, I said to my dad a long time ago, you know, you never said you love me, you know, and he said, Oh, so you're a word guy. huh?" And, uh, you know, he shut down all of his friends. He shut down all of his hobbies to be able to help me reach my goals. And in, in his mind, he was telling me he loved me with that, but I didn't quite understand it that way. So I think it's really important. Uh, we preach it around here that we're communicating the same language, you know, that, you know, whatever we're saying, you're understanding the way we mean it. And I don't know if that had anything to do with where I went or not, but uh, you know, and that, and I was driven, you know, I, I like to win. I like to, uh, I, I like, I don't want to just participate. I want to, I want to be, I want it to be known I was there. How did you handle, how, how did you handle the inevitable? Like I, I had this theory about professional golf. The highs never seem to be as high as the lows are low. And in golf, I think Kevin Chappell said it, in, in golf, you so seldom get to do the punching, something like that, to throw the punches, right? Yeah. How did you handle that? You know, you go out and maybe you finish top 10 one week and miss a damn cut next week. What was that like? Well, you know, there's so many aspects of playing professional golf. Uh, people, people don't really understand all that goes into it. You know, when you first go out there, you're trying to figure out if you even belong. You, you're trying to figure out if you stack up against the other players. You know, it took six months for me to realize, hey, I might be as good as some of these guys. And then I gave myself permission to compete. You know, if I'm not quite good enough, well, then – I don't know if I really want to be on TV. I, if I'm not quite good enough, I don't know if I want to be in that last group, you know, and that's something I've never really talked about on here. You know, you're, you're kind of sizing up where you stack against all these people too. And, you know, as I played out there, I began to see, you know what, I hit it as far as they do. I, I, you know, hit it relatively straight. I'm making a few putts. So maybe I'll feel comfortable if I got in one of the last few groups. Um, so, 
Uh, and then after you played in the last few groups and you've either had some success or not, then you figure out where you are in the pecking order on that and what you lack or what you have that's a strength, and you just uh, keep building on it. Very cool. How, when, when did you realize how important commitment was? Like, because you haven't talked about, like, your dad, did your dad preach, you know, the mental side to you at all? Oh, yeah. <laughs> My dad didn't know anything about the swing, so all he did know something about was the mental side of it, you know. And um, he, he made me commit to, from the time I was 15 or 16 years old, you know, I've told the story before I was about to break the record, the course record at our home course. And I run, I was already sitting on the course record and I had four holes to go. And one was a par four that I could get it within 20 yards of the green. The other was a par five. I could hit it in two. And there was, I was on a par three and I had about a 20 footer and I run it about six feet by trying to make the butt. And he knocked the ball off the green and said, come on, we're going home. I'm like, what? And he said, uh, no, we're going home. He said, I said, well, I'm breaking the course record. He said, no, you'll have to wait till tomorrow to do that. You need to think about what you just did right there. He said, you were way too aggressive on that putt, and you know you were. So you'll think about that overnight before you break the course record. I call and, it putting the consequence. You can't putt the consequence, right? That is your putting right. a birdie time or don't three putt or get it to the hole. I said, we just putt the ball. Just putt it. Right. Put it to your target. So anyway, I mean, you know, he was teaching me commit to something right there. And I was, you know, 16 years old. So our, I was kind of – I was committed to making a birdie, as many birdies as I could, not to play in the smart shot or attempting to do it with a chance to make it, but still on a conservative note. So you got – you got your – your thoroughbred horse, right? Sometimes you got to pull the reins, right? Whoa, 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 whoa. You're thinking about making birdie. We haven't even read the putt yet. Let's go, anybody, pull the reins, come back to, I'll give this to you, Chase, use it. W-I-N, I think I stole it from the great John Wooden. What's important now? Always back to pull the reins, time out. You're getting ahead of yourself there, big boy. Now, what's important now? Ah. I got to hit it right there at that speed to give it a chance to make a birdie. So you got to come back, right? If there's one thing that I want all my students to do is, yes, it's hard not to have the goal of make the putt, break the course record. But what's the process of getting it done, right? I got to make birdie this hole. Okay, now what do I have to do to make birdie this hole? You know, it's, it sounds so simple, but it's hard to do all the time. It's hard to put yourself, that's why I had to pull the reins, put your gear, uh, put your brain in gear to score, right? That's a, what a lot of the time I'm doing with my kids is bringing them back to what's important right now. And it ain't your score. It ain't the three putt you just had, right? And it's not the birdie you're going to have. It's this shot. I, we hear a lot of uh, the only shot that counts is the next shot. Okay, I think that's totally wrong. The only shot that counts is the one you're hitting right now, right? This one here. And that's, you said, uh, one of my favorites is goals. And I have this theory about burn your goals, right? My goal is to make it to the PGA Tour. Okay, fine. Write it down, right? Throw it away. Now let's focus on how we're going to get there. You know, I can have that goal, 
but now you got there's a process to get there and what i like about like all this these sports and stuff even golf coaching is that there's a there's a a formula to be really good right it, it starts with well you better hit a lot of fairways if you don't hit a lot of fairways you better hit real far you better hit a lot of greens right you have to have you know you have to you have to have 30 putts per round right you have to be able to scramble at about 67 percent it's it's all right there now you go develop those skills so under the gun i like how your dad kept ratcheting up the task difficulty until you were right under fire right but i would say don't do that too early but that's great well my dad knew where my he knew how to bend me but not break me and i think that's really important you know he, he, he studied me as hard as he studied anything. He knew where my breaking point was, and he would take me to just under that. And, you know, I always felt like I was under the gun with him. And, you know, it drove me. I, I think it probably, I'm not sure the young people that we meet today are wired quite like that. Uh, I think they're wired a little differently than that, but uh, it worked for Hal Sutton. So. JD, I, I think you're right. JD, staying on, staying on the parents, what do you think is one of the biggest, you know, one or two mistakes parent, you see parents make? Okay, I, I'm going to back that up a little bit. I'm glad you because I, I was just thinking and I forgot. Okay, number one, if you're a coach like us, number one, these people are giving you their babies. Okay, so uh, think about what goes into that. I'm going to give you my child and trust you with my child. So that's a big step for a parent. Number two, pretty much 100% of the time, if it's not 99.9, they mean well. They care like hell about their kids. I know. So I, I have this awesome responsibility of coaching my own daughter. And uh, that, that is one hell of a tightrope to walk because I can say just the wrong thing. If she heard some of the things I say, like the other day, 150 yards right, water left, she's got a one shot lead, hits in the water. Like, like I was not that happy. But if you heard what I said to her after the round, you, you wouldn't know that, right? So in, in any case, we have to understand as coaches, it's not get the, get the parents out of here, unless they refuse to behave properly, the parents really care. They don't know, just because they don't know what they're doing, right, doesn't mean that, that we get to think less of them or think that their input isn't important. Seriously, these parents are gonna have more to do with their kids' development than you ever, ever will, because I might see that kid once a week, that parent is seeing them every single day. So what we have to do is we have to recruit the parents. We have to teach them how to coach properly. You can't avoid it. That's, that's, a, that's a fool's errand. There, there's no way you can get it out of there, but we have to coach them up so that they understand that one for, okay, I gotta give you an example. Don't get me started talking, Chase, you know this. <laughs> I am on the golf course at a tournament, my daughter's playing in it, and this dad, is throwing a freaking fit. Now, I being somewhat of a pain in the ass, I don't know the guy, I don't know his daughter. But 
He's throwing up his arms. Why are you hitting it over there? And I get about this close to in his face. And I go, Dad, do you think she's trying to hit it over there? And I said, now, are you trying to support this kid's efforts? Or are you trying to steal every ounce of confidence she might have? Now this poor kid has to hit a golf shot and look back to you for approval. Is that really going to be good for this kid long term? Furthermore, is your relationship with your kid worth their golf game? Because then we got this, this misguided completely. So that's a little rant on that. I'm glad I got that out. That was important. <laughs> they care. We have to coach them up. They don't know what they're doing. When they are misguided, we have got to straighten them out. Not in a mean way, because they mean well. But, hey, when you say this to your kid, are you telling, I think, I think Hal said it, are you telling your kid that I only love you? This would be, I have done this before. Ask your student in front of their parent, do you feel like dad only loves you when you play good? That, you don't even have to have an answer to that. That question hits people right between the eyes. It's a big deal. Right, that, you know, Mary Grace lost on the last hole last week. This week, yeah, she lost on the last hole. She got beat. Kid made birdie. She came over off the putting green. I'm right there. I give a big hug and I go, "Dude, that was awesome." You know, she made a putt. What are you gonna do? It was her best friend that made the putt, so it wasn't that bad. But it's just, <laughs> gosh, the idea of of starting. Oh, I gotta tell you another story. How sorry. One of my students, see, my wife is a spy because my wife goes to all these tournaments with my daughter. And it's not uncommon to have 16 girls in one of these tournaments, right? So it's like the, half the field is mine. And she'll tell me, hey, you know what? You know what he said to his daughter after the round, right? And this dad is getting the kid just shot her best tournament round ever. She gets off the last hole, walks over. Now, you heard what I said to my daughter. He's like, you should have done this, should have done this, right? And we had a little talk about that. Like, what are you trying to do here, right? The kid just played her best round ever, and you're going to criticize it? I know personally, if you did that to me, I'd go, see you later. I'm going to go chase girls. Forget about playing golf. That's, I'd go exactly the other way. I grew up with no dad around, so didn't have the same influence. But there, okay, now I'm done. Well, I think everybody operates a different way. My dad would have been that guy right there that would have said, hey, you, you should have done this and you should have done this and you should have done this. And, uh, you know, I responded to it. Uh, I would not do any of my children that way. Uh, I wouldn't do someone that comes in here to, to be coached. We would not do them that way. Uh, you know, the first thing I, I, I tell every parent when they come in here, I say, look, if you want your child's attention, compliment them before you tear them down. It's okay for constructive criticism to take place. But if you tear them down first, they've already shut you out. So you will never, ever get to them. And you agree with that, John? Yeah, I, I, would, I would say even, even further to your previous point, I would say this. I was there, right? I, your, your dad was there. And he's going to just let your performance today tell you what to attack during preparation for the next tournament. I, I, I would say this. I would say this, man, 
I know it's now by this point, it's a, it's a trite saying, I love watching you play. That was really good. You fought your heart up. Sorry, you didn't win. And I would save the correction until the next practice. So, so my kid, uh, three putts, four times, whatever it is. I'm not going to start with what the hell was wrong with that putter. I'm going to go, okay, we need to, we didn't prepare putting well enough. We're going to go out there and prepare the putting. She's the kid. I mean, she already knows that she's three putted. You know what I mean? I'd have to bring it back up. Duh. And by the way, just so you know, you never have to get on girls. They're doing it for you. The girls are really, really tough on themselves, right? You ne I never, ever, ever, ever get on a girl. At, it's, it's, it's so dangerous because they're already beating the living shit out of themselves. So with those guys, you know, the boys will get the kick in the pants once in a while, figuratively, not literally. But the girls, it's more about, hey, let's, let's keep going. We'll get this. I want you to this. And I don't mind having high expectations at all. I do, right? I have high expectations, but I, you, it's, you have to be real careful about how you do this kind of thing with folks because, and I think and you would agree, how we have to be close to the same age. The kids are a lot more sensitive than they were. Even the boys oh, are. Really. Now, like that, we, we grew up, I mean, we didn't do anything but fight, right? That's not legal now, you know? So it is different. So JD, how do you have the tough conversations with parents? And what I mean by that is because a lot of times, like we talk about, you know, we'll shut the door. We've got, you know, an indoor facility here. We'll shut the door and, and get the parents and the kids kind of the air out grievances, like to try and get everybody on the same page. And like, yesterday I had a couple brothers in that they're, they're going to be both really good players. And I, I said, I asked them both, I said, Hey, what would you tell your parents if they could do anything better or worse, you know, or, or they, something that, that they're doing is causing you to struggle or, or you'd like to see them do better. What would it be? And the younger one said, I'd like for you, I'd like for my parents to push me harder. And it was interesting because after afterwards, the dad came up to me and said, I would have never, I, I, I had no idea because the younger one's a basketball player and used to basketball coaches. And he, he, that was like, I had no idea. So how do you have those types of conversations? What's your, what's your, uh, your plan of attack there? I, I would go separate like you did. I think you did exactly the right thing. Ask, don't guess, ask, right? And I would, I would ask, I, truly speaking, I would also ask that kid, and I got to do this more. Um, how can I coach you better? What, what would you, what would you, what do you like about the way I coach you? And what would you, how can I help you better? And then the same exact kind of question for the parents. At, at some point, the parents just have to, have to let us do our job. And I, I've had over my career, it's been very long. I've had had parents where they are actually supposed to be reinforcing this. Let's say, like, I, I want this process. All right, this should look like this. And, you know, now I have the parents just videotape the kid. They videotape, hold up the phone, and go, okay, here it is. That's, that's your swing. Okay. And they don't have to say anything. Because the kids that are coming to us are there because they want to be there. They want to get better. And the parents don't understand quite how to help them. You, know, you don't. You don't have to. You can go. Well, yeah, but this. This is not what the coach wants. You could say, okay, all right. This looks a little different. What's different here? It's very easy to ask questions. It's very hard to guess what somebody's thinking, right? 
that's why uh, it drives me crazy when announcers on TV are telling me what uh, Bruce Cupcake, that's what we call Brooks Cupcake at my house, is thinking on that tee shot. Because that, that guy must be real smart to know that. Just ask, right? Ask the kid how he wants to be coached. Ask the kid, because they might surprise the crap out of you, right, Chase? You're too nice to me. Push me harder. Or, right, this is about right, or, or whatnot. And ask the same thing about the parents. I would separate them. And one of the big questions for the parents is this. Is how you're conducting this relationship helping or hurting? Do you feel like beating up your kid after every missed shot is going to lead them to being able to pull the trigger on 18 with a chance to win? Or are they thinking, as I've heard before, if I blow this, how am I going to explain this to my father or mother? Can you imagine that? Well, one of the things that uh, if a parent is doing that, it will create fear of failure. And I know this, you can't play at a high level if you're afraid to fail. You have to stick your neck out there and not be afraid to fail. And, you know. And especially in this sport, right, where we're going to fail 90, 98% of the time. Yeah, completely. What, what do you guys think? And, J.D., what do you think about, you know, a conversation I have to have a lot of times is like, look, this, this game is expensive. Lessons are expensive. You can't look at the, you're, you can't look like you're getting, you're, you can't look at it like you're getting an ROI on the amount of money you're spending. How do you, how do you kind of navigate those waters? Um, I, that's, that's interesting. Cause I just had that discussion not too long ago with, um, one of my dads who is, and I, I, I'm constantly harping on him, right? Constantly. And, you know, this is an investment. And I go, uh, in what? <laughs> what are you investing in? If it, are you investing in your child's development into strong, resilient, confident, gritty person? Or you're investing in his future as professional golfer? Because if you're investing in his future as professional golfer, you probably have it wrong. So with that, I kind of have that discussion. And I, then that goes back to, you know, and this should be written down. Why do you want your kid to play golf or any other sport? What do you hope they get out of it? Okay. So the parent is going to show what he values, right? And then if we write it down, which that I don't do, I need to start doing that. If you write down the values, you can just go back and hold the parent accountable. Well, does, this doesn't sound like you're valuing um, hard work. This doesn't value like you're, it sound like you're valuing commitment to the shot. It sounds like all you're valuing is whether Johnny wins or loses, right? But you said this, but you're behaving like this, right? And then if it gets to be, if you do it right, it gets to be a little bit more of obvious the parent can understand I'm missing the boat here rather than telling the parent that he's missing the boat. If you do it that way, you know, and I'd like that a lot of the, what do you want the kid to get out of the sport? Now, what I haven't had yet is number one in the world. Okay? <laughs> I haven't, cause I don't, I'm not sure I have an answer to that, but it would go like this. Okay. What are the requirements? As Hal said, if you're afraid to pull the trigger, you have no chance in hell. 
right? No chance, right? I, I, want, I want it to be the Michael Jordan. I want the ball, right? I told my own kid two years ago, she started playing competitive golf. And so this is her third year. And it's high school track, so she couldn't wait till high school. She played a couple tournaments that summer um, to get ready. They had high school tracks, and she's saying, Dad, I just know it. I'm going to shoot 90 tomorrow. Okay. And I go right in front of her mother, and I go, Mayor, you take that effing driver and send it every time. And I want you to try to hole out every single approach shot. Okay. This is two years ago. She shot even par and beat everybody. <laughs> that cool, including the boys. Right? And I said, Mayor, we'll cry later, but we're going. Send it. Let's go. Give it hell. We'll cry later if we need to. That's, I want all my kids to be thinking in that ballpark. I, I call it a wry smile, W-R-Y. When you have that shot and you're feeling a little nervous over it, I want you to recognize that, okay, this means it's, we have an opportunity, right? Yes, you have an opportunity to blow it too, but you have an opportunity to do something special too. I want a big smile like, this is why I play golf. This is why I do it. That's what I'm looking for. And everything a parent and coach do, does, talks about, should be toward creating that sort of competitive mindset as far as I'm concerned. A recklessness, right? There's, there's some, some bit of that. There's a little bit of recklessness. A, it's, it's not that. It's, it's like an aggressive attitude toward the target. Like, let's go, baby. That's why we play it. You know what I mean? That's why we play it. What it, was it? it um, I think it was Watson and Nicholas were playing in the final round. It might have been the U.S. Open. It might have been British. I don't know. And Watson says to Nicholas, big smile. Did I do that big smile? This is what it's all about, isn't it, Jack? Duh. Right? We should start listening to those guys a little bit more. I try to get my kids to listen to the interviews. They never do. Right? They never, the interview, sometimes a professional golfer at the highest level of the game says something super, super important in an interview. They never listen to them. What can we do? So I'm going to make a suggestion for everybody out there playing golf. It, Chase has heard me say this a lot. Playing golf is like driving a car. You've got a steering wheel, you've got an accelerator, and you've got a brake. The key to playing it really well is knowing when to be on which one of those things. <laughs> so if you drive the speed limit all the time, you're going to be a real safe driver, and you're probably going to get to where you're going, and you're going to get there at a normal time. If you exceed the speed limit by five or ten miles an hour, you're going to get there a little bit quicker. You're going to take a few more risks. You're going to make – you, you're going you're gonna to do a little bit better. If you drive 20 miles an hour over the speed limit, you're going to have a wreck. So the key to playing golf is you drive a little bit faster than you normally would, take a few risks, don't take a risk all the time, and you learn how to play the risk-reward game and when to play the risk-reward game. And that's the key to playing at a higher level uh, at golf. Yeah, and they can't have to explain themselves if they fail. You know, I, if, if, so if, if my own personal kid, you know, you know how we have, I have a ton of kids, but I only have one that's uh, blood. If my kid comes off and says, Dad, I gave it hell. I didn't have it today. I'm, I'm okay with that. 
right? But if my kid comes up and goes, I played, I got really tentative and I didn't give myself a chance. I'm not crazy about that. I'm okay with failure. I'm, I'm totally cool in golf. The best in the history of golf lost three out of four tournaments. And he's the best ever, right, Tiger? It's okay. But I want it done. This is how we do it. This is our culture of competition. This is how we proceed through tournaments with a big, big let's go, baby. Big grin. Let's mix it up and see what the heck happens. You know, here's other things that we value, like adaptability. Man, one of my kids um, is finding his way. Same tournament, uh, there's a boy, and he had his B game. His B game, he goes, I didn't hit it good. I said, yeah, why would you do though? He goes, I shot 72. I go, well, that you should feel more better about than having your A game and shooting 68, right? You had your B game and shot par. That's a sign that you are a gamer, which I love. JD, how do you assess, how do you get your players to assess bad shots? Um, obviously, there's, a, there's a, a physicalness to it, whether it's club face, whether it was a, a swing issue, and then there's mental, mental issues too. How do, you, how do you get them to assess that? Okay. So uh, with the skill coaching lines, we call it as I go, right? As I go through the process of playing a golf shot. A is for assessing the shot, you know, yardage, all good stuff. S is for selecting the shot and the club you're going to hit it with. I is get the image. What are you going to pay attention to? So uh, great golf comes down to being able to predict your flight, okay, or predict the outcome, whether it's a putt, chip, sand shot. So the image, what are you going to pay attention to during the shot is very important to us. You know, the G is go, baby, let's go. Give it hell. And then the last, the O, is observe, right? And the observations are not just about the result because the result is exactly perfect every single time. Every shot you've ever hit is exactly what you asked for by how you use the club. So you go back to, okay, you go back to, hopefully we get to the point. The idea is to get to the point where you cannot hit a shot without being fully committed, focused, right? Whatever it is. Some people might focus on, I'm going to start it here and it's going to curve here. They might just see it. Some people might be, ooh, see that right there? That's a little draw right there, baby. Okay. Some might have a little blend of it. Some might just try to pay attention to the start line. Some might have a swing key, right? A swing thought, if you will. And by the way, I completely disagree that the best swing thought is no swing thought at all, just so you know. <laughs> what I want to know is, what I want to know is, were you totally committed? Because you can run all the steps in that process. And just like it was several years ago, I laid sod over a pitching wedge. It was atrocious. It was the very shortest I could ever possibly hit a pitching wedge. And I did the whole thing. And in the middle of the swing, I just bailed on it. Right? So in the middle of the swing, I bailed. And I would go, okay, I felt that I bailed. I'm not even going to go to, I hit it fat. You know what I mean? That was, that was something happened in the, in the beginning of that on the way down where I was uncomfortable with the shot and I didn't go back and get myself more comfortable. But Christ, it happened in the middle of a golf swing. So, okay, fine. So that goes down. Okay, I got to make sure I hit it. Okay, if I'm trying to hit this little knockdown shot that short, I got to make sure I still hit it. You with me? 
Now, other than that, so you've, you've hit a shot. And let's say that you were fully committed, right? Real, real quick, JD, don't you, is that the first question you have to ask post? Always. Post, Always. What, are you, what are you paying attention to? Right? And, if you, and if you weren't, it doesn't matter. Everything else doesn't matter. Okay. Yeah. Right. Okay. I, I call it, well, then, you know, I, t- I said to Charles Barkley years ago, I said, um, he's, he makes a practice. He makes it a shot, uh, hits golf shot with like seven iron. It hits it 10 feet in front of him. And the next one, he hits laterally at about a 50 degree angle, about 10 feet away from him again. And I put my arm around him. I go, Charles, what are you doing? And he goes, look, I can make a good swing. I said, please, I'm all eyes. Show me. And he shows me an extremely excellent representation of a golf swing. And I say to Charles, okay, now, what are you paying attention to? And he tells me. And I go, are you paying attention to the same thing with the ball in the way? And he crosses arms and he goes, holy shit. I spent tens of thousands of dollars in golf lessons and nobody said anything other than do that with your practice and then let it happen over the ball. I said, Charles, let it happen is for when you don't suck. But right now you need to repeat it with the ball in the way. He actually lost the hitch for two and a half straight hours, never hits the ball. That was years and years ago. So did I get full commitment? And then it's a matter of, I did it, but you know what? I, I, I didn't quite get it. It wasn't, I didn't do it. I was trying to, I, I was trying to hit a draw and I felt myself, I felt myself, uh, whatever it might be, whatever mechanic it might've been that caused the ball to go offline, but we're still, so we got commitment. What did you experience is second, right? What did you experience that might've caused that bad result? Cause that's where I learned from. The result is just the result. It'd be interesting if we figured out what the hell's causing those results, wouldn't it? That'd be a great thing. So then finally I might go to my, okay, no, I did everything right. And then it's, did you hit it solid? Right. Contact was, is a low point in front, right? Was it ground first, toe, heel, high, low, that kind of stuff. And if it, if you didn't hit it, forget it. If it wasn't solid, I don't care what the ball did. Right. Let's say we, we uh, stopped there, wasn't solid. I chunked it a little bit. Then we go back and we rehearse one or two, our feel with the low point moving forward, then put it back. And I think it's very important not to fix the one-off miss. You're going to miss. Chase, as beautiful as you are, <laughs> you're going to miss. Right? It's natural. It's a hard damn game. How many rounds of golf have you played to your life where you ain't missed one yet? How you have you played a round where you didn't miss a single shot for 18 straight holes? No, no. Right. So we're going to miss. Well, sometimes we jump all over that one single miss because we're going to try to eliminate the miss because I never want to miss because I'm going to be the first person in the world to hit every shot exactly how I want, which I would consider an arrogant point of view. Instead, rehearse, review swing, let it go, and then just move on to the next shot. Right? That's what else do we have? Right? That what else do we have to go with in there? But I think it's a it's a borderline suicide mission to fix a one-off miss. I'll give you an example. 
for uh, a, a young player. She says, I failed you, coach. I said, you can't fail me. She goes, yes, I can. I hit one drive to the right. I was hitting it great. I hit one to the right, and I know you told me don't fix it. I fixed it, and I hit it out of bounds left. That's exactly why I say that. And the right shot wasn't even, it wasn't bad. You know what I mean? So trying to fix the rare miss is, uh, that's for the practice, right? That is not for during play. You know, start shanking it, you would make an uh, adjustment. But one ball that goes offline is, that's, uh, that's lunacy is what that is. Hal, thoughts? Did I answer your question? Mm -hmm. huh? No. Oh, yeah. Hal, thoughts? Um. I agree. I, I wouldn't try to fix the one shot. Uh, but there was times in, when I was playing that, you know, I'd hit two or three shots yeah. uh, and I'd have to try to get it in, you know, and I knew that if, uh, if I didn't fix something, you know, it was not going to – if that happened in the last two or three holes, I couldn't do anything about it. If that happened in the first five holes, then I'd better do something about it. And uh, – you know, and I also agree when you fix the one shot, you're going to overcorrect 90% of the time, which is why the little girl hit it out to the left. And, uh, you know, to me, uh, playing really good golf is like seasoning food, if anybody knows uh, anything about cooking out there. You know, you're not going to dump a whole uh, can of salt on something, you know, or canister of salt. Uh, that's not going to fix anything. That's going to make it worse. So, uh, you know, this game is hard. We talk about it on here all the time, how hard this game is. And, and the journey is going to be long. It's longer for some than it is for others. Uh, but uh, it, it doesn't come easy. You know, I, I bet you, you talked about Tiger a minute ago. If we were to sit down with Tiger and, and really get an in-depth conversation out of him, I think he would say, even to him, it wasn't easy. He made it look easy, but it wasn't easy. It required an untold amount of work for him to make it look easy. And there were times that it wasn't seeming easy to him out there, even though the viewership thought, man, look at him. He looks great doing this. But he's still, in his mind, kind of salvaging things. You know, we talk about here a lot about, I mean, I – I played out there 25 years or whatever it was. You know, I probably only had – you mentioned a B game a minute ago. Hal Sutton's A game probably didn't show up but two times a year. And I had to manage what I had that week because I was getting paid with whatever I was doing. So, you know, that to me, that's, you, you talked about that's a game or whatever someone can do that. I mean – Everybody that's going to play the game at a high level is going to have to do that a lot more than hitting the shot that they imagined. What, what if, and this is one of my goals in life as coach, what if we could get our young people to appreciate the fact that you're going to have your A game two times, maybe five times a year, but that that doesn't make you a golfer it's how good is your b game right that's like because you're gonna since you're gonna have your b game most of the time can you get the thing around the golf course instead of being upset when your b game shows up how about if we go hey b game day let's go 
instead of getting all freaked out about it? Well, you know, I, I don't mean to bring up the past, but, you know, the year I beat Tiger at TPC, I had a four-shot lead going into 17 on Saturday. I'm in the last group, hit the ball a foot too far, the ball goes over the green, I make triple on 17. I went from a four-shot lead to a one-shot lead. So standing on the 18th tee right there, which was the 54th hole, was a moment that I had to pull it all together right there. That probably was the key to me winning the golf tournament was the tee shot on the 54th hole because I either am going further south, which I just was going south on the last yeah. hole, or I can pull it back together and give myself a chance to regroup after I finish the round. I hit the ball in the fairway, knocked it on the green, had a nice two-putt for par, kind of breathed a sigh of relief and said, okay, we'll regroup for tomorrow. But, you know, there's many times in a tournament for everybody that's listening out there where you're going to have to regroup, reassess, and make a decision and then commit to something. We talk about it all the time on here. Don't hit a shot without being committed to something. Don't stand over that shot thinking nothing. I mean, you better be thinking something. Yeah. You better have made it. When you're actually pulling the trigger, you may not be thinking anything. But prior to you hitting that shot, you better have something on your mind. <laughs> so what I got to know, because I've never been in that um, – I've lost small tournaments in a playoff. I won one in the playoff, but that's not PPC Sawgrass. I'm not playing against Tiger Woods. I'm playing against other scrubs. What I want to know is what did your self, what was your self-talk on that 18th tee box? You just made triple, right? I probably, me, knowing me, I probably would have followed my ball into that water. I'd have jumped off the back of that green and drowned myself because that's how, you know, mentally strong I was. What was your self-talk on the very that 18th hole? Uh, nothing other than drive it in the fairway. I hit three wood every day except the last round. And I always hit three wood off that tee most of the time. The two times that I won, I hit driver off the tee and worked it away from the water, basically. The, the, the days that I wasn't trying to you, – you don't win on Thursday, Friday, or Saturday. You only lose on those days. There's no way to win on those days. So – I always played a draw off of the tee on uh, 18 with a three wood. And my goal when I got there that day, no different. Okay, we're going to aim it down the right side of the fairway, draw it right back into the center of the fairway. And and, and that's all I thought. Okay. Good. You, but, yeah, just, so self-talk is one of the things I'm trying to get my folks relentlessly to, to think about. What is your self-talk? You know, be careful what you say to you talk to yourself. So, well, I – so how I do have something to add to that. Yeah, Never yeah. say don't do something. Always say this is what I'm going to do. Have a positive goal in mind or a positive shot in mind, something to do, and then do it. Commit so, to it. So how tell them the tell them what Freddie was telling you walking off off 17 green on on Sunday or actually on Monday with Tiger. Yeah. Well. I had to make about a three footer to keep the one shot lead on 17 and. Tiger had already putted out and was walking to the 18th tee and Freddie stuck the pin in the, in the hole and he said, how are you the greatest driver of the ball out here today? Don't doubt that. Go to the tee, drive it past him, drive it in the fairway, let's win this golf tournament. And he said it various ways, but he said it all the way to the 18th tee. He didn't stop. When he said it once, that wasn't enough. He's trying to drive that point home. 
believe in yourself. Believe in yourself. People, this is what you have to do when you're under the gun. Exactly. But we got to, because chances are you might not have Fred Couples in your ear. Maybe you have a caddy in your ear, right? But that is exactly what I want people talking about. I'm a great driver of the golf ball. You know, my daughter's nickname is Beamer. You know why? BMW tagline, ultimate driving machine. Right? <laughs> right? Be yeah. careful what you say when you talk to yourself. You know, be careful. I make all these putts, right? I, I, I make putts because it's what I do. Beats the hell out of, don't blow this. Don't leave it short. Yeah. Right. Get it to the hole. Right. And, and wouldn't you say it's one of the reasons we, it's one of the reasons we practice, right? We practice making a bunch of three footers or four footers, five footers, whatever it is. So that way, when we get over that putt, we're thinking just like how he's driven it so well for so long that all the work he's put in leads up to that moment, their memories to draw on to say, Hey, I can do this right here and go do it. Your brain ain't going to get fooled, right? If you miss 50% of your three footers, you can right. tell yourself I make three footers all the time, but you haven't earned the right to have confidence. And uh, Rick Jensen, uh, great sports psychologist, motor learning doctor, and dear friend, says, if you don't have skill, you will seem mental. I like that a lot. So, yeah, you can't. You can't. When your brain knows that you miss every other putt. That's why I tell people, greatest way to become a great putter, make a lot of putts. <laughs> That's, you have to, you're not going to believe it if you can't do it. So one of the things, and you mentioned sports psychologist, Dr. Rick, and then we had Dr. Bob Rotel on last week. We've had, we've had Brett McCabe on. Um, they talk a lot about quiet minds and, you know, talking to Hal for, and spending time with Hal for the last five years. I, you know, I've spent, spent quite a bit of time with, with different tour players and talked to them about, hey, do you have swing thoughts? Do you have all this stuff? And you, you kind of touched on it a little bit earlier, like no swing thought is your best thought. And, I, you know, I've played some really good golf having a swing thought. Hal's had, had, had played some really good golf having a swing thought. So, you know, what's, what's the goal? What's the takeaway for our listeners at home? Is it an image? Is it a swing thought? Is it a song? Is it a feel? Is it whatever they need it to be to be committed to it? What's, what's the message there? Okay. It, that's a great question. And that's like one of the ultimate questions of golf. We have to go back to what's the task requirement. I got to get this ball in play. Right. And I, I like what Hal said about curving it away from the water with the driver. I hate to see a ball curve toward trouble. I just hate that because we know in our dispersion, some curve more than we wanted to. So I like to see a curve away from trouble. But this golfer may be, ooh, see that feel? That feels like my draw. I picture draw, it generates a feel. Now, wait a minute. I think the concept of swing thought is an overreach. Because I have the feel of a draw doesn't mean I'm thinking, does it? I'm not thinking I got to get uh, P2, P3, P4.75, right? I'm just like, that draws. My practice time tells me that when I do this with my golf club, the ball's going to draw. Right? And I can believe that because I have evidence, that I have evidence, right? But one of my kids says, you know what? I'm just better off if I just picture it starting this way and letting it curve. I don't care. But it's not empty-minded. So swing thought, excuse me, let me start again. Empty mind is not what we're looking for, right? Your mind needs some direction, right? I don't think it's possible to just 
empty your mind, right? Because it's not how a brain works, right? A brain is constantly switching attention. Our goal is to gather our spotlight of attention and put it wherever it needs to be from our experience. And we actually test some of that here. Where's your best possible focus? But you narrow the spotlight of focus down. When I do, when I pay attention to this, when I attend to this, I hit a lot of good shots. Maybe even my bad shots aren't so bad, right? And that's what we do. So it's, it might not be get my elbow here. In fact, I would tell you that uh, I, I would very seldom use that. Like I did have a student today hitting fades. He's a good amateur golfer, adult. And I'm trying to get him to get his grip above his head a little bit. On the back, he gets a little too flat and hits draws by accident. So I get, get that grip above your hat, right? Now that is a swing thought. Get the grip up, hit a fade, right? right? That fades. So I, I'm not sure I like the whole term swing thought. You know, it's like as, as much as we know about golf from our education in this game, you would think that we have a lot of thoughts during the swing. I don't. I just have a picture and a feel. Al? Uh, you know, I, I think that the mind is pretty quiet, but I do think it's thinking a thought. And uh, um, when I'm – I agree the mind is jumping around all the time. It's thinking a lot of things. And when I played golf like that, I played very poorly when I could get my mind quiet to a single thought, to a single commitment, to a single image of what I was trying to do, not two images. And uh, then I played my best golf. Uh, but to say, and maybe we've said this wrong, to say it's quiet, meaning nothing, that's probably not right. It's not blank. We're not it's not blank. It, it, there are – there is a thought, there is a commitment, but it's not multiples. Yeah. And, and would you guys agree that that can change during the round? That can change during a oh, tournament week? It can change. I mean, you could have multiple things that work, multiple feels, multiple thoughts, multiple images, multiple commitment, commitments, basically. <laughs> not, not at the same time, right? Not, yeah, not, not, yeah, not all of them at once. Well, your, your feel changes during rounds, right? It's amazing, isn't it? Like one day my hands feel fat, grip doesn't feel the same. That's when we go, but I know how to use the tool, right? That's, I know how, when I do this with a golf club, whether I feel good or not, that golf club makes that ball do that, period. Because it's just a game of physics without it. And, you know, it's one of those things. How, when you play golf, for instance, I, I really, I'm not being a wise guy. I really want to know this answer. Could you feel the weight of the club head? Okay, you might want to call it center of mass, but I'm not going to call it that. Could you feel the weight of the club head from like start up to finish? Did you know where that club head was all the time? Uh, I knew where the club face was. Good. That's right. That's what I'm talking about. I mean, you know, I asked, I got, I got, uh, I got yelled at. I was talking to five or six tour players and I asked them that question. The answer I got was offensive. Like, are you a complete moron? Of course. <laughs> right? Which is, you know, how do you play good golf? Well, that's, you know, when it comes down to it, 
that's the only thing that's hitting the golf ball. And if you attend to the club face, actually you can do anything you want with it. Right. That's just, which is really kind of cool. And you might have a, in the background, I tend to do this, right? Whatever it was, I, it could be anything. I tend to lift up too high because uh, it's a tendency that I have with my golf swing. And then, you know, usually that is associated with this type of miss, which is really cool. You know, so I, I tell my kids this, but it's actually true. I have a right miss that comes from my, my, I open the face right here in the transition a little tiny bit and don't recover it. But that, I'll hit that once and I'll hit it hopefully in the right rough or right trees. I just hope I find the golf ball. But I might not make that mistake again because I know it's a tendency and I know what it does to my golf ball. So the tendency relates to the ball flight, ball flight problems. I might not do it again for three straight weeks because I know it that well. You know, I, I make sure that club face is square up there. I think that's super valuable. But, but do you guys think that Dustin Johnson knows that his club face is closed at the top or Webb Simpson knows that his club face is wide open at the top without an instructor ever telling them that? Like, I, I struggle with – I don't know if I knew where the club face was at all time. Like, I don't – like, how do you think you were you were acutely aware at the top of your backswing where club face was when you were playing playing well? Like, did, did you – did you have awareness of it? On the tour? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So I would, say, I would say they do. I would say they don't know where it is. They know where it is. They, like, they don't know whether it's closed or open, but they know right where that sucker is. I would, I would say that I don't think great players can escape the club face. It's ever present. Okay, so it's not so much of an awareness of, oh, my gosh, at P6 and a half, it's open or closed, but they know – they can visually in their mind know where the club is. So what do you say to guys that take it back too far versus versus you ask them to shorten it? Good players and they can't they can't physically feel that. What's the difference? I'm kind of playing devil's advocate, but I'm curious what you guys think about this. That that golfer actually has an attention problem. Right? That so and you, as you know, yeah, because this is what you do for a living, you know damn well that here put your arm up like this boys go ahead do it and put it up here give me a break All right yeah. how'd you do it though you don't know right you don't you don't know but you put it there so when a person can't change something they're doing maybe they have a mechanical body doesn't work problem i got problems with that i got body parts failing all over the place um, starting with mind. <laughs> when a person has an overswing, well, I guess the first thing is, is it detrimental? John Daly played okay with the overswing. Right. But if it was, if it was, it was causing problems and they can't fix it, it is because they're not paying attention to it. And you might say to them, okay, I want you to shorten the swing. And it goes right back again. That is, uh, that's un-American. <laughs> There's no way you can't tell yourself to stop down here. And maybe you got to feel like you're taking it back down to your knee height yeah. and it goes back to full. And we have to increase their, what I would call calibrate their feel. You know, we, we are all calibrationists at heart, as far as I'm concerned. You got to calibrate it. But most people, when they can't do something different, I hate to say this, they're not trying. Enduring the swing, they're just 
not trying to do that. They're, they might go, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to get my backswing back a little, but I got to still hit the golf ball good. Yeah. Like, hang on. <laughs> Let's just yeah. fix the swing for a minute. Let's disregard what happens to the golf ball. Can you actually make whatever you, we want to happen in the golf swing? When they can't, I'm telling you, it's a, it's a focus problem, not a uh, swing problem. So, and some people do have very poor that's where we use uh, multiples with video, multiple video views to help them attune their sense of feel. Most of the time, they're just, their awareness is gone. I, uh, people have what I would call a, uh, they have a blind spot in their awareness. Most of the time, it's just turned off. You know that with your normal, normal people, uh, just turned off awareness. Uh, better players, there's a blind spot in there. You know, great players, like Hal, I would be willing to bet you ten dollars <laughs> that you had no idea where the hell your left knee was during your golf swing no clue you know and i wouldn't want you to either am i wrong so i honestly didn't know after my setup i didn't know where anything was during the swing except the club face and and i here's the other thing that i'll add to that I always was aware of where the club face was, but fixing it in the middle of the swing was sometimes difficult to do in moderation. It was easy to do overcorrect, yeah. but it was very difficult to do in moderation. Yeah. That, America, world of golf, you just heard it. That is the truth according to Hal Sutton. That's it. I... I you know what's really cool, though? As, as golf teacher, though, when I get people paying attention to the club, I can make their body move differently. I can actually make their body move differently just by telling them to do something with the club. That's an excellent point. Now, you couldn't have said it better. All right, J.D., got, got one more question, and it's on a word that you used early on when you were talking about um, some of the stuff with Dr. Wu and the Skill Coaching Alliance, which is awesome, by the way. I joined it. It's great. Super awesome stuff. If you're a coach out there, skillcoachingalliance.com. It's phenomenal, phenomenal stuff. Um, I like to tell people JD poured his heart and soul into this thing, and it's it's phenomenal. Yeah. Um, let's talk about transfer. Um, so we, we've covered some some awesome topics today. I think I think post shot analysis is one of the missing holy grails of performance. I think we don't. I think we don't teach it enough and I think it's huge. And I think I always blame my golf swing and 90% of the time it was, it was my commitment level. And I, I was horrible at that, but I also so, think, I think, I think another one of the missing, missing Holy grails that we got to do a better job at is, is this idea of transfer and it's how many times people talk about, and we can get into random and block practice and all that stuff, but it's, it's how many times people say, man, I can hit it good on the range, but I can't take it to the golf course. So what are the things that, that, you've learned with Dr. Will and, and, um, and, and your research to help people take it from the range to the golf course. Uh, anecdotal research counts. Observational research counts. Okay. Right? It might not be scientific, like I'm doing it. And by the way, some of these, some of these, um, some of these research studies, you know what they're researching as far as motor learning goes, key press touches on the computer keyboard. I think golf's a little different. Mm -hmm. I would like to say that uh, golf is probably a whole lot more like playing classical guitar, which was my major in college, than it is rugby. Rugby is chaos, and somebody's trying to kill you. In golf, you have time. There's no, there's no rushing. You know, you have time, so it's a little different. 
And it does lend itself to a little bit more doses of what's called block practice, repetitive practice. But here's the thing. Now, if this doesn't work, you have to forgive me. Okay, so the first part of the question was this. I'm gonna move this over. Tell me if you can still see me when I do this, okay? Oh, fantastic. The only club I have is the damn two iron. That's perfect. Okay. So for those, for those, for those listening at home on the, on the road, um, Mr. Dunnigan's grabbing a, grabbing a two iron, two iron blade, and he's going he's gonna to show off his skills. Uh, just so you know, I can't hit a two iron up in the air. <laughs> I can barely get my driver to 100 now. Okay. Well, I like to say I call it the three R's. And this, when you join the Skill Coaching Alliance, this is another thing you're going to learn. The three R's is R, how to learn anything, even golf. Okay, you got rehearse, real, reflect. Those are the phases. So first, wait a second, we're gonna switch that. This is a fade. There's a fade. I got feel. I can feel the club, actually I can feel the club face relative to the direction the club is swinging in. So R number one, rehearse. And when I'm talking about that, I'm saying, are you sure? You got one shot at this? That's what you're going to want to put on there on 18? Not a thing, right? It's not a thing. I guarantee that fade, baby, right? Then we go and take our setup to the golf ball. We're meticulous at setup, fine. Okay, then we come in. This is going to hurt every bone in my body. Now, here comes the fade, folks, because when I do that, it fades. Yay, it faded. It got up in the air with a two iron. Okay. Now that's real. Rehearse, real, and then reflect. This is the magic to learning anything, even golf. Reflect is, oh my gosh, that felt like exactly what I wanted to do, right? I hit it solid. It took off left of that post and curved to the right of it, but good enough with do iron, right? Damn, I'm good. Right? By the way, you one thing you could do that would help you is stop blowing off the good stuff and get all excited about the bad stuff. Reverse that. Get all excited about the great shots you hit and start blowing off the bad shots other than to learn from them for crying out loud, right? Trying to give myself confidence. So the magic of golf and learning is the first and third R. This is just the result. This is where I calibrate what I'm going to do to cause a result, right? This is where I learn. This is where I test what I've learned. That's why like, when we're playing golf tournaments, I'm not going to get on a kid about three putt in the last hole to lose, right? I'm going to go, awesome, great. You fought your heart out. Yes, I know. I'm sorry. You know what I mean? We'll get back to that process later. Hot reviews are dangerous, by the way. <laughs> Hot reviews are really dangerous. Um, you can get them, and if you're tough like Hal, it might work, but it's, boy, oh boy, it's dangerous. So does that make sense for the process of this, right? That what people are doing for number one is they're skipping this, right? So now I stand here, right? Oh gosh, don't get old Hal. Wait till you see what's coming your way. Okay. 
Hey, Drew. Oh, it's on the dragon. It's on the golf course now. Good time. There's no, there's no learning going on there. All I'm doing is adjusting after the fact. And that's cool, I guess, if you're a beginner, right? I guess if you're a beginner, to adjust after the fact, go, hmm, cool. That should, by the way, that should be your favorite word. Huh? Right? No, it's like this. Now, that one, Drew, didn't quite have the face open enough. Okay, that feels more like it. Come back in and test your hypothesis. That's how you learn. That's the first part of transferring it to the golf course. It's for part one. The next part is you've got to make a little bit of golf-like in your practice. Uh, so like here, I, it was raining out, and I ran out there on the range, and I found that it is 31 yards between the right fescue, and you guys can't see it out there, and this red post that I use a lot. So now when we're driving, you've got to hit it in between those two. That's your fairway. So now we have an actual fairway to hit into. That makes it a little more like golf. Now we go back and do our thing, right? And we try to hit the fairway. That's looking a lot like golf. If it don't look like golf, it ain't. Does that make sense? So now, okay, so now I have a student, and this is a, a one-handicap golfer, good. But he goes, man, I'd get on that track, man. I can send driver every time. I go, yeah, but that don't count. So guys, so we get out of here and go out to the driving range, and I send him over the fairway, and of course he just pounds it right down the middle of the fairway first. I go, okay, now uh, hit that green. Okay, full process. Rehearse, real reflect. Okay, now hit a drive. Now hit that green. Now hit a wedge. Now hit that green. Right. So and he missed one. Right. He hit, this guy's hitting fades, he hit a hook. And you could see it. I said, how big do you want to hit that one again? He goes, nope, driver time, you missed, right? We re-rehearse, right? Review practice swing and move on. That makes it more like golf, right? So how close? I had another student today, very good young golfer. In one year, one year of competitive golf, his low scoring term is even far now. Is that cool? Um, we were doing the exact same thing, right? And he started to create a two-way miss, which is really, really cool, right? Two-way miss says, uh-oh, uh I'm going to lose my cool on the golf course. I'm standing on the golf course, and this ball is fading and drawn, and I don't know which way it's going. We said to him, when in doubt, curve it out, meaning add more curve. And he, he was able to do that almost immediately. There's an on-course adjustment. Uh, my draw's not drawn. Draw it more unless you come to the end of the round. And I said to this to him, I said, so he hits one, and he hits his driver, and he hits a fade, right, in the fairway. And I said, son, if you are in the middle of the round of golf, what's the secret of golf again? Predict the outcome. And that ball's fading, and it's predictable fading, and you don't play that? and beat that golf course up, that's unacceptable. You know, it's about making adjustments sometimes, but as Sam Snead said, gotta dance with the one you brought. That's part of this too. But the more we make this look like golf, full routine, I don't like to call it routine, I call it process, 
three hours process, rehearse, real reflect. Did you have your mind clear? What did you experience during the swing? Right? These are huge concepts. Huge. JD, would you say that that for people that are having a hard time transferring it from the range of the course, you think they need a little bit more random practice? They probably need a little bit more process in their practice. Right? They're, they're probably not approaching each shot as though it counts. They're just getting in the groove. Uh, Dr. Um, Jensen told me that when if you're grooving, get moving. So the second, the second you've got this grooving, you have to have some time to have some confidence, right? That I can actually do it. That's more block practice, right? And if people tell you that's bad, well, we like to say in skilled coaching clients, it's the wrong question. Is block bad, random, good? It's the wrong question, right? It's how do you blend it? There's too much in this world now of it's binary. It's either this way or that way, which makes the entire thing wrong. Right. right? When there's a one-way run, you're, you're in trouble. So the, the building of the confidence and then using it in a golf course-like fashion and then finally scrimmage on the golf course. So I sent a gentleman last night, I sent him on the golf course and said, now listen, I want five balls off the tee doing this in a real golf course setting. Then just hit one approach. You don't have to put it, you don't have to put it out. Go to the next hole. Right? So you got your looks like golf practice on the range. Then you have your scrimmage practice, right? So even let's say that uh, let's say that you were uh, my mind's going blank. All right, we're working on this on your golf swing. Okay. We're working on this new golf swing. And then you go out to the golf course and stop doing it. Right? Well, do you, do you want me to do that on the golf course? I'm like, do you want to play good on the golf course? You know, of course I want you. I want you to push the transfer from here out there. Right? Is what you're doing working? Yes. Now you gotta go to the golf course. And so many people go, I, I just want to let it happen on the golf course, like Charles Barkley. Well, you might end up like Charles Barkley. You know, now go out to the golf course in a no stakes condition and force yourself to do it even though you're on a golf course. Then I want you to do it with a scorecard. Then I want you to do it maybe in a match or a tournament or coming down the stretch in a tournament. Yvonne Lendl taught me that. I got to play with him three days in a row at a tournament in upstate New York. And I was asking, because I was a tennis player first, I was asking how he went from that beautiful chip backhand that wasn't going to beat anybody to this unbelievably gorgeous backhand. That was basically the steps. I did it right in practice. I did it right in practice matches. I did it right in lower level matches. Finally, the last step was I did it coming down the stretch in the fifth set. You have to make yourself do it. Otherwise, you'll never do it. If you keep not doing it every time it counts, don't take the lesson, because that's not taking the lesson. Right? That's ignoring the lesson, which is, well, not great. Amen. Amen. <laughs> I, I mean, essentially, you gotta you gotta test it in an empty gym before you can put it in play with the the crowd screaming your name, right? Or screaming against you, or however it is. That's awesome stuff. Well, JD, thank you so much, sir. Always a pleasure getting to getting to, to hear your wisdom. Um, your passion obviously shows up really, really quickly when, <laughs> when you put a microphone or a, or a, or a camera in front of you. 
Um, I actually don't want to see. I'm not sure which is what. Hey, <laughs> and, and honestly, I was pretty impressed. Golf swing looks pretty good. You know, for an old guy that's getting a little round about the belly and two rotator cuffs and this muscle isn't attached anymore. Not bad. When you get to be my age, it's really bad idea, Chase. Remember this, to ride your kid's scooter. Okay. Land on my face, which made it prettier, but <laughs> this, I, I don't have a biceps tendon anymore. I'm tall enough as it is. It's a long fall for me. So. <laughs> Well, for again, for those of you listening at home, Skill Coaching Alliance, um, John Dunnigan, if you're in the Northeast, he's one of the best coaches that I know. Um, he's at johndunnigangolf.com. Check him out. Hal, take us home. John, thanks for being on. Uh, Be the right club today podcast. Chase and I admire what you do, and uh, let's keep building young people into better players and, and, uh, how about that U.S. Ryder Cup team this year? I I just – I don't know how you get that good that young. That's well, that it look, looks like they're going to be that way for a while. Uh, anyway, follow us on uh, social media, and uh, thanks for being on, John. A big honor. This is a big honor for me to hang out with you. And Chase, well, too. <laughs> thank you, Jimmy. <laughs> thank you. Bye. Be the right club today. Yes!